Good morning. Wonderful to see all of you and wonderful to be able to open up God's Word this morning. We are in Malachi chapter 3. If you want to find that, Malachi 3 verses 13 through 18. I'll ask you to stand in just a moment and then we'll, I'll read it. And this series is entitled, Objections Overruled. Because God's people kept objecting to his statements and God is telling them the truth about their condition. And today what you're going to see is that God sees and hears and remembers everything. In fact, today we're going to see that God hears and remembers perfectly. And that should be a great comfort to us. Now sometimes we don't hear or remember accurately. I have heard things incorrectly so many times. I will say something and and I'll tell my family, you know, uh, so-and-so said this or that. And they're like, that's not how it went. And I know you do that too, and I know that sometimes it could even happen to you where someone will insist that you said something, and you're like, I know I didn't say it. What, do I need a transcript or something? And then we don't don't remember things 100% either. And we often have what is called selective hearing and selective memory. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. Wives, you especially know what I'm talking about. Because your husbands sometimes are like, what? I don't remember. And you wonder, are they doing this on purpose? What's their problem? Now, husbands do it with their wives, kids with their parents, employees with their bosses. And you do have to wonder sometimes, is it on purpose or not? And here in Malachi, God's people are seemingly clueless about their true condition. Or were they? Here we are near the end of Malachi. And God is telling his people, his wayward people, that he is not only hearing their words against them, but he remembers the words as well. And so we're in Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 today. And it's really loaded with a summary of their escalating evil against God and words of blessing and assurance. In fact, you're going to hear the most assuring words, the most encouraging words yet, yet this far in Malachi today. So please take your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 3. If you're able, please stand with me. And I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. Now we are near the end of Malachi. And I just want to say one other thing is, when I finished 168 sermons going verse by verse through Matthew, you threw a party. I remember these things and I'm just letting you know and reminding you that next week is the last week in Malachi. So... Here we go, Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge? Or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper that they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, 
and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. This is God's word for us today, and let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness to us, and even as we read these words and we think about how, how kind and how, how patient, how loving and how merciful you are with your people and you are with us. And Lord, we thank you that you don't let the guilty go free without any change of heart, but you, you give us opportunity again and again and again to come back to you. We thank you, Lord, for your call to repentance and we thank you that that is a call to the joy-filled life that you offer to all who will come to you by faith and humbly bow before you. And Lord, we pray that as we look at your word now, that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word, that we would trust you with all our hearts and want to serve you with everything we have. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So just a little recap from last week, I guess... When I mentioned that the, uh, most of the things that stressed you out last week were about the clock and the dollar, and I ended up giving a $5 bill out during this service, third hour, last week. My $5 bill took quite a journey last week. It went to restaurants, it, I believe it was in a court of law, and I believe it was on a train, and I believe it came to church today as well. So are you giving... All right, next week, next week. We'll use that $5 and throw a big party. All right, all right. So we are near the end of Malachi. And what God is doing, it really is, has that court of law feel to it. God is making his final argument to his people. They're objecting and he is overruling their objective, objections. And he's making one really final merciful appeal to them. And you're going to see this this week and next week as we end the book as we bring this exposition of Malachi to a close. But you really will see, and this is what we have been seeing, how wonderfully merciful and loving and gracious and kind God is with his people. He is not coming at them with anger and hatred. They were coming at him with anger and hatred and animosity and enmity. And he was coming to them as a loving heavenly father. And that's how God approaches his people. I want you to remember that. God doesn't let the guilty go free without a change of heart. But he he gives opportunity to repent. He gives opportunity to come back and to return. He gives these calls to repentance. And it is a joy-filled life that God calls us to, but we must humbly bow before him. I love Psalm 16, verse 11. It says, You make me know the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I realize that some of you feel like your life is not experiencing the fullness of joy and feeling the pleasures of God forever, and and you long for the day that you will. And I would assure you, if you're a Christian, that you will see that day someday, not here on this earth, but that you will see some glimpses here while you're on earth of a heavenly reward that God will give all those who love Him. There is a big idea in this passage in this section that we're looking at today and it's very simple it's this that God wants you to serve him 
God wants you to truly serve Him. And, and we throw that around really, really loosely. I feel, oh, I'm serving God. Or, you know, even on social media, people will put on their profile, servant of Jesus or follower of Christ. And that may w- very well be true. But just because you write it, just because you proclaim it, just because you say it, it doesn't make it true. There are other things that actually make it true, and there are evidences that show that it is true. But the big idea here is that God wants you to truly serve Him. And He knows who are truly His. And those are the people that are going to be truly serving Him. And the Bible says that those who truly know Him and serve Him must abstain from evil, from wickedness. Because if you truly serve God, your life is going to be different. Your life is going to change. And it's going to change progressively as God sanctifies you, as He makes you more like Jesus. And that's what we want to look for. And and I'll say right off the bat, I said this at the end of the service, the last two services, but sometimes we think that you need to make this huge leap, this huge this huge leap and there's really only two people in in this room right now that need to make a huge leap two kinds of people (laughs) i don't know who you are okay two people exactly two people the kind of the person that's not a believer if you're not a believer today you must take the huge leap of faith and and come to faith in christ believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved believe that he died for your sins and he he did that on the cross and he he shed his blood in your place and that when you you put your faith in christ and don't trust in your own works that god saves you so that's one group that needs to take a big leap today but the other is the person who has gone so far from home they're they're a christian but they've wandered so far from jesus that they don't see any line on the horizon they have no idea which end is up they don't know how to get home And if that's you today, I'll just say that as we go through this today, you know, this passage kind of just shows that way. And it's it's really a way that God has been showing all through Malachi. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you. It's it's as simple, the big leap is as simple as a as a momentary decision of your will. To turn around, which is what what repentance is, to go the other directions and go towards Jesus and, and ask him for help. But if you are the person that has gone so far from home and you're like, I don't know how to get home, then just say, Jesus, help me. And he will. The people who don't need to take the big leap are the people who say, you know what? I think I'm doing what God wants me to do in life right now. I think I'm tracking with God. I think I'm repenting of my sins and my relationship with people are are good and I'm, I'm following the Lord. And so these will be little reminders for you today because we need little reminders. We need reminders on a daily basis from God's word and from people we know and love and respect of the way we should go. Because... We do forget, and we don't always hear correctly. So the section of Malachi today, I want to point you to, uh, verses 13 through 18. There's really two parts to it, verses 13 through 15, and then 16 through 18. And, And the first part of this, verses 13 through 15, is God recounting to his people their escalation, kind of their stair step of evil against him. And it's bad news really for everyone, but especially the faithless. And it's kind of like what God is doing is he's throwing a bunch of dirty laundry into the middle of the room and saying, this is what you've created. They're saying, no, that's not our dirty laundry. God is literally, it's almost like he's putting a big pile of stinking, rotting garbage in the middle of the room and saying, this was your mess. And they're saying, no, no, we didn't make that mess. But God is right. He hears perfectly. He remembers accurately. And the people are deluded. So keep that in mind. 
This first section is bad news for everyone, especially the faithless. Because for this final time in Malachi, really, God is opening with a statement about what the people had said. And the people are following up with a question, refuting God's statement. So verse 13 begins, Your words, God says, have been hard against me. Now that little phrase, hard against me, literally means violent. So they have been ratcheting up the violence against God. They've been escalating their evil against God so that God basically sums it up with all the words you've said against me, violence. Violence against me. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Now their response is is violent against him. How have we spoken against you? So he's been telling them over and over again and they're saying we don't get it. You're wrong, God. We're right. It's interesting. They, they start their sentence with the word how, this interrogative word how, and the Hebrew word occurs 29 times in the Hebrew Bible, more frequently in Malachi than in any other book except the book of Judges. Judges has it eight times. Malachi has it six times. And so in Malachi, you've got these deluded people asking these questions. Chapter 1, verse 2. How have you loved us, God? They're doubting God's love. He says, I've loved you in the past, I love you in the present, and I will love you in the future. In chapter 1, verse 6, they say, how have we shown contempt for your name? So their question is contemptible towards him. In chapter 1, verse 7, they're like, how have we defiled you? Chapter 2, verse 17, how have we wearied you? Chapter 3, verse 7, how will we return? They're saying, we don't need to repent, why should we have to return? Uh, Then we looked last week in chapter 3, verse 8. How have we robbed you, they said. God says, in the tithes and offering, you're keeping everything for yourself. And so now, in chapter 3, verse 13, we see these words. How have we spoken against you? And their question is speaking against God. It's like they're shocked that God would, would say that they're doing this. Like, God, we can't believe that you're accusing us of this stuff. We've worked so hard. We, we are so close to you. So they ask this question and God continues to quote them. Verse 14. You have said, God says, you have said this. It's vain to serve God. They're like, it's not worth it serving God. There's no profit to doing what he says. There's no profit to walking in mourning before him. So they were pretending to be repentant on the outside while on the inside they were dead. God is elaborating on this indictment against them and I think if you boiled down their sin, it was they were, they were not trusting God. They were trusting themselves. And they're actually thinking and inferring whether they said the exact words or not that God is unfair God's not being fair with us. It's useless to do what he says. It's like a person that you might know that would say, you know, I've served God for so long, and this is what I get? I've served God for so long, and my life is not going the way I want it to go. So they conclude, you know, it's just useless. I've had people say that to me before. God doesn't work. Well, God's not going to work for our agenda. He wants us to humbly fall in line with His. And when our heart gets hard, we get angry at God. 
verse 15, God goes on and says more. It, it's, it, it gets worse. He says, now what you're doing is you're calling the arrogant blessed. You're saying it's good to be evil. And you're saying that evildoers not only prosper, but you know, they get off scot-free. They put God to the test, they escape. They don't get zapped with lightning. I guess it's better to be an evildoer. And this is the type of thing that God's people are saying. This verse 15 is really a restatement of the age-old question so prominent in the Bible, in the book of Job, in the book of Psalms, is why do the evil prosper and the righteous suffer? And God's answer is always the same. God knows why we don't, and His answer is always the same. It's, trust me. My justice is perfect. My timing is perfect. And there will come a day of reckoning. There will come a day when all things will be, will be set right. But here God is putting the whole mess in the middle of the room, throwing the dirty laundry in the middle, throwing the garbage out and saying, this is what you have done. And I heard it, and I remember it, and it's the truth. Now the next section is where we get to the good news. It's all about God remembering. So the first part's about God hearing and remembering, but it's their evil that he's hearing and remembering. Now you get to the next part, and it's about God remembering the faithful. This is good news for those who belong to the Lord and are faithful to him. That God's blessing and assurance are going to come upon you. Verses 16 through 18. Verse 16, and this is really a turning point in, in Malachi. It's a summary type of thing, but it's a turning point. God says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. It's very significant. They, they talk to each other. And there's a specific group of people who do it. It's not everyone that God is talking to that does this. There's, there's one group of people who get together and have a discussion. That group of people are those who feared God, those who revere Him, those who hold Him in high esteem, those who are living in awe of His name, those who are awestruck in the presence of the Redeemer. And they get together and they, they talk. I would love to hear that conversation. I would love to be there and hear what God was saying, what, excuse me, what these people were saying about what God was saying. Only God knows, only they know what they were talking about, but there are hints in the following words. He's really answering their, their hopes and desires with himself. You see, God's, here's what they say. People have been talking back to God. People have been talking against him. And now, though, those who love him are talking with each other presumably about how they need to make sure they're right with God. Presumably uh, words of love and worship towards God. And I want to stop and, and think about this for a moment and what that might mean for us. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. You see, those who fear God, those who hold God in high esteem, they talk with each other. And they don't just talk about the news or about sports or about things. They talk about real things going on in their life. And they're willing to do that because they know that good things come about when they do. You know, there's a lot of people who would say, you know, it's good to, to study the Bible with other Christians. I'd say amen to that. 
A lot of people say it's good to pray with other Christians. I say amen to that. But what happens is sometimes people will say, yeah, I want, I'm in a Bible study. We study the Bible, we pray, we go home. But we don't share about our lives. And I'm like, that's crazy. There's, there, what, what are you doing? The idea is that God wants his people together and get into his word and pray and share their lives in a real way. If you don't get real with anybody, you're basically operating as an independent contractor and you think you can do this Christian life on your own and you can't. You say, oh, it's me and God, we got this, we got it okay. No, that's not the way the Bible portrays this. And I think this line about those who fear God or talking together is, is right on point here with this idea that true Christian fellowship is where believers experience the word of God and prayer and, and worship God together but then share their lives in the midst anyone who goes to a Bible study and just studies the Bible and prays and goes home and doesn't share about their life I'm like is there anything in there that you read that you saw that affects anything that's going on in your life if there is you need to talk about it with someone who is believing the same way you do and who has your best interests in mind you got to process this stuff together your hopes your fears your dreams your victories your defeats all the things of life and you don't have to go tell everyone in the world about it you need to be in a smaller group of people we have all sorts of small groups at grace church of orange we've got men's groups and women's groups it's basically for those who want to do that and i said last week when i held up the clock and the dollar i said you probably got stressed out by the clock and the dollar this week and people are a given of course you're getting to get stressed out by people because people are in the mix and and i'll tell you if you said i only want to be in a small group with these people because i think that they will really you know be the right people for me i guarantee you i know what will happen you'll find out that you don't like those people so much because they're going to tell you the truth and you're like no no you're supposed to be agreeing with me i picked you because you you always agree with me and you're like uh come on and they're like, no, but we don't agree with you. Because when you get close to people, you've got to be honest with each other. Not, not cruel with each other, but lovingly honest. And so let me just say that you should be in a group of Christians where you can get into God's word and pray together and share your life and receive from their life as well. That you know each other. You take those risks. Because... You've got to consistently, on a consistent basis, point each other to Jesus. Without that, we go astray. We go astray in our thinking. We go astray in our actions. You know, when you think about it, you need a group of Christians that will consistently point you to Jesus and what he did at the cross as the answer to everything. And trust God to transform your lives. So, the people feared God and they spoke with each other. And then it says that God heard them. That God paid attention to them and heard them. God is listening to those who fear Him. He knew what they were saying. And, and, and He heard their expressions of love and, and worship and their resolve to change their ways. And then comes this amazing statement. A book gets brought out. A book, a scroll, was written in the presence of God concerning those who feared Him. It's a book of remembrance. 
God not only took notice of their conversation, didn't just hear what they had to say, but then had some things written down in a book of remembrance. So writing in a book like this, a book of remembrance, to remember what they had done, could remind you of the, the custom of the ancient Persians. They would have the names of those who did good things written down in a book so that on a later date they could be honored for it. You see this happen in, recorded in Esther chapter 6 verse 1 when what Mordecai did in saving the life of the king was remembered and then he was honored later at a later date. So when you think about this book of remembrance you're thinking maybe it's something like that. But this book of remembrance being referred to here speaks of, of a much older idea. It's the idea that the names and the actions of the righteous are written in a book before God. And the book was, was written before the covenant God for those who fear Him, for their good, to consider what they had done and reward them for it. The idea here is, is something that is found elsewhere in the Bible. Writing that is done that God would assure His people that belong to Him that He sees, that He hears, and that He remembers. The Old Testament has this idea in it. If you go to Exodus chapter 32, you'll see a situation that was going on amongst God's people where God's people had built a golden calf. They took gold, they formed it, fashioned it into a calf, and worshipped the cow. That's what they were doing. They lied about it, and they said, oh, we, we threw the gold in the fire, and the cow just jumped out. The golden cow just jumped out. Moses comes down from the mountain with the tablets, the Ten Commandments, with the, with the law on it, and, and he is so angry, he throws the tablets down, and... He, he takes the calf and he burns it, grinds it into a powder, puts it in the water and makes the people drink it. They had to drink golden dusted water to remind them of their sin. And then he goes and says to the people, I'm going to go to God. I'm going to pray for you that God would forgive you. And you see this in Exodus 32 verse 30. The day after... People are probably all sick to their stomachs. And, 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 and Moses says, you have sinned a great sin. And I'm going to go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. The idea is he was going to go to the people on behalf of the people to God as a mediator. It prefigures what Jesus did on the cross for us, the mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. But he goes to God, and this is what he says to him. Verse 32, if you will forgive their sin. He's basically saying, please forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you've written. It's like Paul loving his kinsmen so much that he says, I wish that I were accursed if they would just come to know Christ. And Moses is like, I'm willing to give up my spot so that they would be forgiven. Very self-forgetful. A very noble thing to do. But here's God's answer, verse 33. The Lord said to Moses, 
basically saying, look, thanks, but no thanks. God says, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Everyone's responsible for their own sins before God. In Psalm 69, the psalmist is praying to God, and he says about the wicked, let not Excuse me, let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. He's basically saying, don't let them slip in through some crack and get in the door and, because they don't belong to you. You look at Isaiah chapter 4, verse 3. Beautiful picture of, of, of Jesus, really. And it says, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. It's prefiguring what Jesus will do at the cross when God would, would pay for sin at the cross. In Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 it says that your people will be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So the Old Testament is very clear that God has this book. The New Testament is just as clear. When Jesus sent out the 72 and he sent them out to preach and teach and heal, they came back rejoicing because of what they had seen God do in conquering evil. And Jesus' reply was, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If you look over in in Philippians chapter 4, you're going to see an interesting situation where, where God is actually correcting two people in the church. Verse 2 says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. They weren't agreeing, they weren't getting along, but these two women were Christians. And the the word is this, yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, get this, whose names are written in the book of life. So if you have a disagreement with another believer, it doesn't mean your name's getting blotted out of the book of life but you need to make sure that you show yourself to be someone whose name is in the book of life by making things right hebrews chapter 12 verse 23 says refers to the assembly of the firstborn that's the fellowship of believers in jesus who are enrolled it says in heaven enrolled in heaven but probably the place in in the new testament that is most clear about the book is in revelation Go there with me, because I'll take you to several places that speak of the book of God, the the book of life. And I believe that's the book that's being referred to here in Malachi. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus is speaking to the church in Sardis. And he says, The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. God has given assurance to those who belong to him. You go over to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, verse 8. Now you're with me. I hear the Bible pages rustling now. The first two services, there was a lot of noise with the Bible pages rustling. I I was starting to wonder, is my hearing going dim or are you not turning your Bible pages very much? But you're with me now. I can see that. Revelation, I can hear that. Revelation 13. 
and verse 8. Now, this is the picture of the beast where people are going to worship the, a false god. And it says that all who dwell on the earth will worship it. That's bad, okay? That's bad. And everyone whose name has not been written before the world, foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. So there is a book that was written before the foundation of the world, the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. It's Jesus' book of all those who belong to Him. And so the word here is, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. You need to hear this word. You need to make sure your name is in the book. The question is, is your name in the book? Is your name in the book? Is your name in the book that was written before the foundation of the world, the book of life of the Lamb that was slain? Is your name in the book of Jesus? Is your name recorded? Are you enrolled in heaven? I think maybe one of the most beautiful expressions of this idea comes back in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16. God says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Beautiful picture. So those who feared God, they revered Him, they were in awe of Him, they were in awestruck wonder at the Redeemer, and they esteemed His name. They considered Him worthy of their full attention. They valued Him. Therefore, they listened and obeyed. God says, they're going to be in the book. Because verse 17 says, they shall be mine. They shall be mine. It makes us mindful, even in the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, the, near the very end of the Bible, Revelation 21, this beautiful picture of a new heavens and new earth. I saw a new heaven and new earth. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Beautiful picture. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And look at what he will do for them. If you're a Christian, hear these words. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is the hope of all who have faith in Christ. Your life may be in shambles right now, but you have a hope reserved for you in heaven. Verse 17, God says, they shall be mine. And there's the phrase says, the Lord of hosts. Almighty God says it. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, he says, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. I want you to think of it with me for a moment. If you're a Christian, think with me. Savor for a moment these words. God says mine over his people. God says mine over you. If you're a Christian, God says mine about you you know kids might say hey look that's my ball that's my cookie adults do it too that's my coconut water whatever it is it's my car my house my whatever coconut water magnesium potassium all the good things you need 
We say mine, and we say it in a self-centered, self-serving, self-righteous way, and we basically say, everybody else get out of my way because that's mine. That's just not the way God speaks. It's not the way God deals with His people. He says, mine, you're mine, and no one can steal you out of my hand, Jesus says, but mine in the most righteous way. His ownership over you is being declared. If your name is written in the book that was written before the foundation of the world, and it's the book of Jesus, the Lamb that was slain, that, that name won't be taken out of the book. It, it's assurance. It's security. There are two things in verses 17 and 18 that are being said about God's people. Number one, that they will be His very own. And number two, that He will spare them. Very crucial words here. First, they're owned. He says, they're my treasured possession. If you look in the King James Bible, you will see the word peculiar. Well, no, we don't use this word the same way, do we? We say, oh, that person is peculiar. They're odd. They're weird. God is saying peculiar, treasured. It's a possession. Literally, it means you're my jewel. Jewels are very, very valuable. And God is saying you are very valuable. You're my special treasure. And, and he says, I'm going to spare you. Isaiah 43, 4 says something very significant about that. It says, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. It's prefiguring Jesus at the cross where God would substitute Jesus for us in our place, taking our sin, taking our punishment. You see, that declaration makes all the difference. We serve Jesus because He chose and saved us. Not because we want to be more accepted by Him or we want to earn our way to heaven. If you're a Christian today, let me speak to your heart about something that I know is tough. Some of you have been through the most excruciating circumstances or you're going through them right now. And what many of you have experienced in your lives, given what many of you might be experiencing right this very moment, there is a lot of comfort in this thought. There is a lot of comfort in this thought that God hears and He remembers, that He hears and remembers you. And that you may have been going through or are going through unspeakable tragedy or awful injustice or painful trials, excruciating tests. But to know that God is faithful, to know that, that you are His, to know that He says of you, mine, there is a, a sign on you from God owned by the Lord God's possession that tells you that you are safe that tells you that you are secure that tells you that nothing can change that relationship so you're able even when you don't feel like it to focus on Jesus and to practice what Tim Keller calls the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Verse 18. No, I want to take you to one more place. Go to, go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Because if you're that person, I, I want to 
dwell on this for a moment. If, if that's you today, let's not skip over this. First Peter chapter 2. You need, you need verse 9. You need it. If you are the one, a lot of Christians even will say, you know, you ask them, are, is your name written in the book? And they don't have a lot of confidence. They're almost afraid to say yes with assurance. And what happens is they start to feel insecure about their relationship with God and they start to doubt. It often comes when you get isolated. That's why you don't want to be isolated. You want to be in with Christians who are reminded you of these truths. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race. By the way, who's, who's 1 Peter 2.9 written to? The same people that are addressed in the book of 1 Peter. By the way, sometime after Easter, we'll be starting 1 Peter and then going into 2 Peter after that. But here's who 1 Peter is written to. The elect, verse 1, the elect exiles. The one who, according to his great mercy, God has caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So very clearly, 1 Peter 2.9 is speaking of those who know and love Jesus and who credit their salvation to God. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Let these words sink into your heart. A holy nation, chosen, royal, holy, and, and here it is, a people for his own possession. A people for his own possession. He owns you. He keeps you. He provides for you. He protects you. You're his. And he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but you, no, you are now God's people. You once had not received mercy. You were under the weight of sin. You were on your way to hell. You were going to pay for your own transgressions and it says but now you have received mercy that's that's believers that's that's people who are owned by christ and verse 18 back in malachi 3 god says now you once again will see something you'll see a distinction you'll see a a line of demarcation between the righteous and the wicked god doesn't leave the guilty free without a change of heart he says, you will see a distinction between the one who serves God and the one who doesn't serve God. That's why God is so concerned that you truly serve Him. The righteous, those who are found and chosen and, and being sanctified and aware of their sinfulness and aware of their need and they're hungry for Jesus and they're, they're wanting to have what He did at the cross transform them. And the wicked, the lost and depraved and unrepentant and unconcerned and unaware of their soul's condition. You see, God knows if you're serving Him or not. God knows if you're serving Him or not. And it may look like it on the outside, but inwardly you may be full of dead men's bones. Empty as a dead body is of a soul. And the light's on, but nobody home. But according to Malachi, in agreement with the rest of God's Word, God hears and remembers everything. Way more than like a fictional Santa Claus who knows who's naughty and knows who's nice. God knows it all most accurately, more accurate than the sharpest hidden video camera. And he not only knows, but he records the words, the actions, and also the thoughts and motives and intents of every person's heart and mind. Hebrews 4.13 says, All things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. 
So we must reckon with God Almighty. God is not unjust so as to forget your work and your labor of love that you have given towards Him and towards His saints. God knows. And God knows who are the faithless and who are the faithful. Second Chronicles 16 tells us the eyes of the Lord range to and fro all over the earth. Proverbs 15.3 says the eyes of the Lord are everywhere keeping watch on the evil and the good. 1 Peter 3.12 says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer. So if you're right with God, He's hearing your prayers. If you're not right with God, He's not hearing your prayer. It says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So all the disputes that God's people had with Him recorded in the book of Malachi, they're all getting summarized here. They're all getting pushed to the forefront right near the end of the book. They thought they didn't need to repent. They considered themselves righteous. But God knew the truth about their hearts, just like He knows the truth about ours. Isn't it good to know that God knows the truth about our hearts? Especially if you're ever falsely accused. You know the truth. Paul said to the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Basically, give yourself a self-test. Those who are real have no fear of being tested for authenticity. And the big drastic step, if you need to be saved, come to Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. If you want to, follow, if you want to serve the Lord, you've got to be following Jesus. The treasured possession of God whom he has caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of, of Jesus or come back to Jesus if you've wandered far away or if you're walking with the Lord just keep walking with the Lord let this be a baby step reminder that this is what you need to do and we talk about serving God a lot and it's not in this general kind of hazy, I don't know what I'm talking about kind of way that we talk about serving God. But in a real, real life rubber meets the road kind of way, a very practical way in your life. That's exactly what Malachi is saying. That serving God is not some imaginary or, you know, hypothetical moving target. It's not a figment of your imagination. Like, oh, I'm a serving God. It's opportunities right where you live right where you live it's a bullseye painted on your most important activities Malachi says it's in the way you think Malachi says it's in the way you talk and it's in the way you love and in the way you worship God and the way you relate to others especially those most closest to you like your spouse and he says it's in the way you give whether you keep it all for yourself or you give generously and sacrificially and it's in the way you think about how you serve God well, I've been serving God and God needs to pay me back. Or Jesus gave me eternal life and because I'm accepted in Christ, I just want to serve God with my whole heart and life. This is a big idea here. God wants to know who is truly his. God knows who is truly his and he wants you to truly serve him. He's interested in your servants. He's interested in your heart. You want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Lord God, thank you that you are the one who is going to say those words. And we want to be humble before you, Lord. We know you're interested in our service, and we don't serve to be accepted by you. We serve because we are accepted in Christ. And we want to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our goal, because the gospel changes our hearts and our minds about serving you. And serving you is the outflow of the gospel changing our life, because our number one allegiance is to you, and we want to exalt you.
And we thank you that you hear and remember. Lord, help us to hear and remember that, that you hear and remember. Thank you that you say you are mine. Lord, whatever we do, in word or deed, we want to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.